The book of Jeremiah, starting in chapter 19. Here, uh, God uses another uh, picture uh, to and through Jeremiah. He tells him to go and buy a potter's earthenware jar and take some of the people to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the Potsherd Gate, and, and tell them that he's going to bring terrible judgment against the people because the people have been worshiping other gods. They've been sacrificing their sons to these gods, which is an interesting thing. It's, it's, the, it's in a way a um, falsified copy of the, of the work of the Lord that the enemy's having them do. And sometimes it's you know it's the exact opposite. So whereas God wants to raise us up as His sons, and He does bring us through testing and fire, but it's, it's spiritual in order to burn away the dross from our lives, so that we become pure and more holy. Here, the enemy's got them actually burning their sons in physical fire, which is killing them, in order to. I can't imagine what those rituals like, but it had to be just this disgusting lust and anguish and zeal for for who knows what. Um, but so it's just this perverted uh, picture of uh, of what the Lord would have us do, raise us up as his sons who are cleansed and purified by his fire that only he applies. We don't apply this fire to ourselves. He applies the fire to us to purify us. And so then that's basically what God says. Here's what I'm going to do. Jeremiah tells all the people, I'm going to bring down terrible judgment on on Jerusalem, on this whole place, on these people, to the point where you're going to be without food. You're going to be turning. You want to sacrifice your kids. You're going to be, you know, eating your own kids. You're going to be so desperate for food. It's going to be a horrible, disgusting, terrible time that you're going to go through as judgment for what you've done. He says, it was never in my imagination that you would uh, destroy your own children like this. And yet here you are doing it with zeal as if somehow this is a good thing. And the chapter ends with God saying, behold, I'm about to bring on this city and all its towns, the entire calamity that I have declared against it because they have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. He said, they won't hear me. They won't go my way. So I'm bringing judgment down. And then we're on to chapter 20. There's a priest named Pasher, who's son of Immer, the chief priest in the house of the Lord. Um, so the, he's, a, he's a priest just like Jeremiah is, but he's, he's son of the, the chief priest. Decides to put Jeremiah in stocks. And so he's, he's locking him up. And the next day he lets him go, and Jeremiah says to him, Pasher is not the name the Lord has called you, but rather Megor Misabib. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm going to make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. And while your eyes look on, they will all fall by the sword of their enemies. So I will give over all of Judah to the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will carry them away as exiles to Babylon and will slay them with the sword. I will also give over all the wealth of this city, all its produce and all its costly things, even all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give over to the hand of their enemies, and they will plunder them, take them away, and bring them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, 
and all who live in your house will go into captivity, and you will enter Babylon, and there you will die, and there you will be buried, and you and all your friends to whom you have falsely prophesied. So Jeremiah is standing very boldly for the word of the Lord. Uh, you know, sounds like as as he's imprisoned, that you know the Lord comforted him and and gave him a word specifically against Jasher. And even though Jasher had the ability, the power to throw him in this prison, he that did not stop him from speaking boldly the word of God against him. But then when Jeremiah is alone, that doesn't stop him from complaining. <laughs> He complained to God, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. So he says, I'm getting tired. I keep speaking judgment of the Lord and nothing's happening. And everyone's laughing at me, mocking me. And, uh, they, you know, they're trying to hurt me. And so this is no good for me. And yet I, I have this burning passion within me that I have to speak this word of the Lord. I can't keep quiet, even though it's doing me no good to be doing these things. He says, everyone's uh, all around me trying to, trying to trap me, trying to wait for me to fail, you know, hating me. Levin, but the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. Yes, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, who see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one. From the hand of the evildoers, cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother born. So Jeremiah is at the point, Lord, this life is so awful. I, I wish I would have never been born. So we see it wasn't, wasn't, you know, Jeremiah was going through great difficulties in order to obey the word of the Lord and obey what he's commanded to do. And, uh, and he did it and God always made provisions, but there were times when he <laughs> was full of doubt and sorrow and, and yet the Lord brings him through because the, the book goes on. So then we're on to chapter 21. So here King Zedekiah now all of a sudden is concerned. <laughs> so they've all been treating Jeremiah badly, but now uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon has begun to come against them. And so he sends the very same Pasher and Zephaniah, the priest, to um, Jeremiah to say, Please inquire of the Lord on our behalf, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is warring against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful acts, so that the enemy will withdraw from us. And Jeremiah tells them, tell Zedekiah, the king, hey, the Lord says he is against you. He will himself will turn against you in anger and in wrath and great indignation with his mighty arm and outstretched hand. I will six. I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They will die of a great pestilence. 
Then afterwards, declares the Lord, I will give over Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people, even those who survive in this city from the pestilence, the sword, and the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their foes, and into the hand of those who seek their lives. And he will strike them down with the edge of the sword. He will not spare them, nor have pity, nor compassion. So Jeremiah does not mince words. He says, look, you're trying to turn around now. I've been proclaiming this to you for years, and you've been ignoring me to turn to the Lord. You've ignored all the prophets before me who've said to turn to the way of the Lord and against your own ways, and you've been ignoring all these things. And now you come to me? No, the judgment I have decreed is here. And then God says, now turn to the people and say, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. So it's the same choice that's always before all of us, but he's making it very clear. There's a two different paths you can follow. He who dwells in this city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans who are besieging you will live, and he will have his own life as booty. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. If you think about um, this being a picture of the old way of God, of a religious life that is sort of in the name of God, but not in the way of God. And God's saying, look, if you continue on with this way, it will be utter destruction. But if you come out of her, you will live. He's basically saying, you'll be taken away. You'll be going to a new place. Like, you'll have to die to your old life. It's not going to be easy that way, but you will find life. But if you continue on in this way, you will find death. Remember, this is this picture of Mystery Babylon in, in Revelation. Is, uh, it's, it's pretty clear here. The Lord wants a pure people. He wanted it then. He wants it now. He wants a people that live onto his way, that learn the way of life that is his, that is apart from the fallen world, that we take on his culture, the way of living, his heart, his love, his truth, his, his actual living way, and that we have families and communities that are all based on this way. And he says, you have to come out of that old way if you're to live under this way. And then Jeremiah speaks to the household of the king who are, they're administering the way. So we're just kind of talking about the way of, the way of community, the way of, of, of the people, the culture. Now he's speaking to the ones who administer. He says, administer justice every morning and deliver the person who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor, that my wrath may not go forth like the fire and burn with none to extinguish it because of the evil of their deeds. Behold, I am against you, O valley dweller, O rocky plain, you men who say, Who will come down against us, or who will enter into our habitations? But I will punish you according to the results of your deeds, and I will kindle a fire in its force that it may devour all its environs. He says, You have not been administering justice. You have not been treating people fairly. You have been after your own ways, and I will bring down judgment on those ways. And then we're on to 22. And then the Lord tells Jeremiah to go speak to the house of the king of Judah, so to the king and to all in his family, all who might sit on his throne. It says the exact same thing. Do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has, robbed, who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, the widow. Do not shed innocent blood. 
For if you men will indeed perform this thing, then kings will enter the gates of this house, sitting in David's place on his throne, riding in chariots and on horses, even the king himself and his servants and his people. So he's saying there's a picture here that when this people, this is a picture of the new Jerusalem. So it's talking about, you know, here he's bringing the downfall of Jerusalem, but he's talking about a new Jerusalem, which again, Revelation, other places in scripture, uh, talk about this coming time, this Mount Zion, this holy kingdom reality, a new Jerusalem. And so here he's saying that the kings will enter in and sitting in David's place on his throne. This talks about a new order of Melchizedek where kings and priests are ruling and reigning as God originally intended mankind to do so. When there there is not the violence, there is justice, there is righteousness. So he, he's telling these people, look, this way is available to you. God always offered this. And so it was always on offer. The problem is people were never capable of doing it. And so he had to send Jesus to make a way into this living reality. Um, but he always offered it. But then, you know, he, he knows they're not going to take it. And so five, he shows the other side. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself that this house will become a desolation. Um, and then he prays against the king of Judah. So, he, you know, these two roads are always before the people. And he will have a people that choose the high road into his life. And he will destroy those who choose the other road. And, you know, back then, life was brutal back then. And he brought on a, a very physical, awful thing to, to these people who had continually turned against his way. Um, but in the same time, you know, the, the reality that we live is, is more spiritual in nature, but that's not to say we do not go through difficult times and the people of the world are not starting upon difficult times and going to see more and more difficult times. It will look different than way back then, but, but no less difficult. I can't imagine anyone eating. I mean, obviously you hear weird stories of very disturbed people, um, but I, I can't imagine people, large amounts of people eating their own children today. But the place where people are today in Western society in America, where ever, basically even the poorest people are pretty rich compared to all, you know, compared to kings from, you know, a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. Um, to fall from that place, even just to being a typical poor person in the history of the world, will be an awful fall. But God has to make clear the the right way that is his way and the wrong way that is not his way to all the world. He doesn't he cares about you immensely, but he cares about everyone else too. And he wants all creation to know his way so that they can get on the right path, not a corrupt way that's supposed to represent him, but that does not represent him at all and leads people to devastation. So he says in eight, many nations will pass by this city and they will say to one another, why has the Lord done thus to this great city? Then they will answer because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, their God and bowed down to other gods and served them. So he said, I need to make it clear to all of creation 
that this way has not represented me and I have a better way so that people can make a clear choice between light and darkness and not have to stumble through the gray trying to figure out, is God in here? Does God Is God represented here? These people say they have God. He wants a clear distinction between light and darkness. So do not weep or for the dead or mourn for him, but weep continually for the one who goes away, for he will never return or see his native land. So God's saying, I don't even have pity for these who just continually turned away from me. But for those who are having to die to their own way of life and come into this new way, I do have pity for them. But for this king, uh, what was the king's name? Shalom. Uh, okay, I just looked it up. Apparently Shalom was the birth name of Jehoahaz. Who, so I, I didn't remember that king name. Um, so Jehoahaz was king of Josiah. He was apparently not the oldest son of Josiah, um, but uh, but apparently very popular and therefore made king. Um, Josiah had been a very good king, although in the end he entered into a war which God did not send him into. He got prideful and entered into a war that he shouldn't have been in. And although God had been with him all up to that time because he stepped out of God's grace, he was killed there. And then Jehoahaz, or Shalom, becomes king in his place. And he does not continue in Josiah's mostly really good ways. Mostly Josiah was a really good king. And um, and so he instead did evil. And so Jeremiah here is prophesying evil against him. There he will be led captive and he will die there. And so he was taken captive to Egypt and died there. And so then he gives a word against uh, this king, but but this is a these are principles. So if we if we are called to be priests and kings, then these words are to us, right? How do we build our house? How do we teach our children to build our house? How do we what do we base our our community on, our culture on, this kingdom on? If we were to help God established Adam and Eve to build up the culture of mankind, to build up his people in the world. And if we are to regain that lost promised land, then God assigns us, raises us up to help build the same living way that he originally designed. And so here's this word of warning to this king. He was king, so he had the ability to affect culture, right? You see that throughout the history of of the kings of Judah and Israel. They were the ones who set the culture. They could either set it in in a righteous, godly way, or they set it in a wrong way. And what they did affected all the people, and it affected God's um, way, God's grace or God's judgment on the people. And so here he says in 13, Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a roomy house with spacious upper rooms and cut out its windows, paneling it with cedar, painting it red. Do you become king because you are competing in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? So he's differentiating. Josiah, who lived for justice and righteousness, established the kingdom based on those principles, godly way of life, godly principles for his people, so that the the grace of the Lord flowed. Instead, he says, you've become king and living for your own way. 
And that is not my purpose for a king. He says, 16, your father pled the cause of the afflicted and needy, and it went well. Is that not what it means to know me? He says, because he did good. He, he, every, everyone was blessed, and your father knew me. But you've chosen this other way. Your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and on shedding innocent blood and on practicing oppression and extortion. Therefore, thus says the Lord in regard to Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not lament for him. Alas, my brother, or alas, sister, they will not lament for him. And then 21 starts, a, and it's an important word because it's, you know, we're like, why, why does God judge us? Why does he hate us? Well, he doesn't hate us, but here's the reality. 21, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your practice from your youth, that you have not obeyed my voice. The wind will sweep away all your shepherds, and your lovers will go into captivity. Then you will surely be ashamed and humiliated because of all your wickedness. So he says, I, look, I did. I spoke to you and told you to turn around when you were fat and happy. You know, you were going about your own life, and I spoke to you. But you said, no, nah, this life's pretty good. I like going my own way. And he said, so... It didn't work to speak to you in this manner. So I had to bring judgment in order to make you pay attention. And when you realize that, that that opens up the way of a truly blessed life, then it's actually the love of God to judge this way. Because this way leads to eternal damnation. It leads to the lack of God. And it does not fulfill God's purpose for mankind. Remember, he is the potter, we are the pot, right? We are the clay. He's trying to make us into a pot, but we're just clay. And he, he says, look, I have a purpose for mankind. And it is beautiful and it is amazing that you will inherit everything that I have. You will know my love and my wisdom. And it will just inspire you and fill you with awe. And you will be able to share this wonder to all creation. That is my plan for you. But you have to be raised up in my way. You don't just get it just because you go your own way and you feel like somehow you deserve it. You get it because you come my way and you allow me to train you up in this way. And then we see this picture again. How will you groan when pangs come upon you? Pain like a woman in childbirth. So then Jehoiakim is now king or he knows he's going to be king. Because he was just, it seemed like he, this is one long speech and he's, but maybe these are just separate words. It's hard to tell, you know, these could be, um, the, the first king, Shalom, was only king for uh, three months. So, um, you know, this could be three months later and you've got a new king. His brother became king and now he's speaking uh, to Jehoiakim, who's the new king. He says, um, as I live, even though he were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off and I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will hurry you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born and there you will die. But as for the land to which they desire to return, they will not return to it. So he's speaking against, you know, against this king as well. He says, I, ha I must have a pure people and pure leaders who represent me. And he basically says at the very end, he says, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So that he's saying there will be no more kings of Judah from this line. 
Um, and that that's a, a clear picture of God saying, when a, a people no longer resent, represent me, I must cut it off and have an, a new line that does represent me. So if you think about the, the line of Adam, had to be, it, it was fallen and never redeemed. And so God sent Jesus to be the second Adam to form a new line that would represent him. So here we have again a picture of this, that God will cut off the old way and, and bring out a remnant people that represents him. And then we're on to 23. I love it when the Lord does that. Good. I'm, I'm, there's nothing planned about this. I'm just reading and talking as I read. So I had no idea what the next chapter was going to be when I flipped over, or at least to hit the button on my iPad. Um, but, you know, I see that it's titled in, in ASB, The Coming Messiah, The Righteous Branch. So that God was setting that up to show a picture of a, a way of life that he was going to offer. And he says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, uh, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock. <laughs> That's what I was just talking about. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing. So you see this picture of, you know, I will I will send this shepherd, and they will tend my flock. So the shepherd is Jesus, and and. He will take my flock out of this area, take a remnant out in, into a new pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. So again, what's that picture from for Adam and Eve in the garden? Um, be fruitful and multiply, right? Rule and reign over all I've, I've done. So here's this picture again, being fruitful and multiply. And I will raise up shepherds over them. So it's not just one shepherd. It's the many sons of God who have given their life completely to him so that they can be raised up according to his ways and according to the order of Melchizedek as kings and priests who know him, who have died to their own life and lived for him, so that he, his life is in them. They take on his life. and Their life becomes dead to the old world, but alive to him, intertwined the unique way that, they, he, that each one has been made, that you and I have been made, intertwined with the way of God, the life of God, the wisdom and love of God, forming a new creation who is capable of shepherding his sheep. And so you see that picture here. And then God moves on in five. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely. So obviously Jesus is this righteous branch, right? And, and this, is, this is one of the many messianic uh, declarations in the Old Testament that had people waiting to see when this Messiah would come because it's clearly spoken about here. And this is what, you know, 600 plus years before Jesus. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. So you can see why people mistaked Jesus. They, they didn't understand God's way. They expected him to come, declare himself king, kick out the Romans, and just be this righteous, justice king, which he is even now, but it is for a spiritual kingdom, not for an earthly kingdom. 
there will come a day when everything's wrapped up, but that day is still to come. And so they didn't understand the timing of all this, and so they kind of missed that. Six, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So there's a a picture here of a new Jerusalem, a new Judah, an area, a kingdom of salvation and peace and joy and righteousness. And then God shows, see this picture that he moves in waves. And so there's not just an Old Testament and a New Testament. He moves in waves. There's many different waves in the Old Testament. There's many different covenants. And and so God, there's this picture of this here starting in 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but... As the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the Northland and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. So look, in in the natural they did, right? He drove the people, I will see by the end, he drives the people out of Judah into Babylon, into captivity, and then Persia's in charge. But then he starts to bring the people back. It's a small remnant. Uh, it, it may have been only like 5% of the Jews in captivity who even decided to come back into the land. But he did bring them back. And that's a picture in the natural of what God will do in the spiritual. These things are they're, they're not never accidents. God does all these things to teach us and show us his ways so that we can understand and and be joyful at his mighty hand moving and not be distraught by looking at the world around us and what's happening, but realize he is doing something powerful and give our lives to him and to that purpose. And then God starts to lament and and Jeremiah is lamenting right with him for the prophets and the priests are not living according to his way. The land is full of adulterers. They, they, They say they're speaking holy words, but they're actually cursing the people and the people are cursed. They're polluted. Everything's wicked. They, they, they're offering people a slippery path instead of a, a nice highway. And so God says, for I will bring calamity upon them, the year of their punishment. And he, he says, look, among the, the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I see a horrible thing. The committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. So he's basically saying, look, you already saw what happened to Samaria, which is Israel. You know, that they had doom on them because they went away from me. And yet you're doing the exact same thing. You've become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. So he just, you know, a prophet, he's, he speaks judgment against these people. And again, these are representative of people that say they speak for the Lord, but teach evil ways. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of that in the church. People bringing in all sorts of weird mysticism into the, the holy way of God and trying to, trying to um, co-opt wickedness and witchcraft and say, saying, just putting Jesus' name in there and saying it's the way of the Lord. The Lord says, this is not good, it's not right, and I will judge these things. In 20 it says, in the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, 
When they would have announced my words to my people, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil ways and from their evil of their deeds. So he's saying, look, they, they could have gone my way, but my way wasn't exciting enough to them. It didn't uh, tantalize their flesh, their lusts. And so they went their own way and they spoke peace to people when they knew no peace. 23. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? God's saying, I'm right here. I'm available to you if you truly want me, but you don't really want me. You want to go about your own way. You're crying out, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of the deception of their own heart. So they're prophesying the deception in their own heart. And their intention is to make the people forget my name. I, I just read a, or I saw a little video on a, there's a very popular church out there. I don't want to get into naming it. But um, apparently they, they, they have a huge school of supernatural ministry. And it's propagated itself, I don't know, around the world. And apparently they teach people, they have people use these cards, these like tarot cards. And they go into bars and they do things. And they even teach, this is all according to people on the internet. I have no first-hand experience but people who were in the school who come out of it and say, man, this is not the way of the Lord. And they teach them even to um, not even use the name of Jesus um, when they're doing this witchcraft with them. And this is a very popular branch of the church. Um, and so this is what the Lord is speaking against. 28 says, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. In other words, if you have a dream that goes against my word, then assume your dream is from the enemy and, and not of my word, not of my truth, because I have given you my word and that is my truth. Uh, any dream you have that's from the Lord will, will help bring the fullness of scripture to life, not help you to pull out one single verse and make a doctrine based on that. He says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? In other words, my word will destroy these worldly ways. And so it, if you're not experiencing that or you haven't experienced that in large measure, then it's probably not the way of the Lord because I'm trying to bring you out of your own fleshly, worldly life, your fallen life, and bring you into my world. And so you're going to experience this fire. At times, it's going to feel like a hammer shatters you, but you come out of it cleaner and more pure. And that is my way. And these ways who just, with people who just preach to your flesh, those are not my way. They steal words from each other. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare. The Lord declares, Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor did they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. And this chapter ends with just a clear word of judgment against uh, people who go around declaring the word of the Lord when they're really just declaring from their own flesh. 
He says, I will have tremendous judgment against these things because you say you stand for me and you only stand for yourself and I will put an end to this. So this is, you know, this is a strong word today against um, many people who say they stand for the Lord, but go out prophesying and teaching under their own power, under their own ideas for their own flesh. That's a hard way to earn <laughs> to end the day, but I think that's five chapters. So, um, uh, so yeah, that is it for the day. Uh, and I pray the Lord blesses you.